Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. One of the crops I really thought would be easy to grow when I first started gardening that turned out not to be for me was peppers, specifically bell peppers. Turns out, not only do peppers really prefer a lot of heat, they also prefer more water than I typically use in my gardens and in my fields. And peppers are one of those plants that I get asked about all the time in messages and at the farm stand. Because once you get the hang of it, you can grow boatloads, and we bring lots of beautiful peppers to market, and it gets people talking. It's also one of those vegetables that's a mainstay in many people's kitchens, and they can be expensive at the grocery store. So knowing how to grow your own is high up there on the gardening wish list for a lot of people. So today we'll talk all about peppers, both sweet and hot, how to germinate, their feeding requirements, planting, spacing, harvesting, all the usual basics. By the end of this episode, I hope you can fill in the gaps of what's been going on with your peppers to get you some success or give you the confidence to give them a try if you're new to the capsicum scene. So let's dig in to growing peppers. Hey, I'm Karen. I started gardening years ago in a small corner of my suburban backyard, then moved to a five-acre lot outside city limits and expanded that garden to half an acre. What started as a way to provide for my family turned into a love for digging in the dirt and providing for others. Slowly, my husband and I built our small homestead into a 40-acre market farm through lots of trial and error and successes and failures. Eventually, I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture, and along the way, I discovered there is power in food. So I want to share everything I've learned with as many people as possible. This podcast is all about helping you become a better gardener and a better eater. Whether you're a seasoned gardener or have never grown a thing in your life, I want to give you the knowledge you need to get the biggest and best harvest you can. So settle in, grab that garden journal, and get ready to just grow something. So what makes peppers finicky? For one thing, they really need the heat. So if you live in an area with a shorter, cooler growing season, you are going to have a little bit of a struggle right from the get-go. You are likely going to have to pick fast-maturing varieties, start your peppers even earlier indoors, pot them up frequently as you go so they don't get root-bound, and warm up that garden soil before you transplant so you can get them the best start possible. Even those of us in the middle of the road areas when it comes to the number of warm growing days can still struggle with peppers. Because of their desire for optimal heat while growing and ripening and how slow growing they can be, it can be challenging to get many of your peppers to maturity before the first frost hits in the fall. And even if you're in one of the ideal growing climates for peppers with long, hot summers, water needs can be an issue, heat stress, believe it or not, as well as fertility. It's not that peppers need higher than usual fertility over other plants in the same family, but it's a little more particular about certain things. So as usual, let's start with the basics. The scientific name for peppers is Capsicum annuum. It's in the Solanaceae family, which are the nightshades, and that includes eggplant, tomatoes, and potatoes. The plant is a tropical perennial. Now, even though the species name annuum means annual, it's really just a tender perennial. It can't survive a frost, and that's why it's usually grown as an annual vegetable. Now, in the absence of winter frosts, it can survive several seasons and grow into a large, shrubby plant. The plant is native to the Caribbean and South America, specifically southern Brazil and Bolivia, as well as the southern parts of North America. 
The genus name capsicum comes from the Greek word kopto, which means to bite. Well, that makes sense. Most species of this plant contain capsaicin, and that is the chemical that produces that burning sensation in your mouth when you eat hot peppers. The amount of capsaicin in peppers varies. It's dependent totally on their genetics. The capsaicin gene is recessive in sweet peppers, which is why there's no heat to our bell peppers and our other sweet peppers. So let's talk about the cultural significance and ethnobotanical uses. Remember that ethnobotany is the study of a region's plants and their practical uses through the traditional knowledge of a local culture and its people. These uses are cited as a historical and anthropological resource, and please never ingest the parts of any plant without being absolutely positive of its effect upon the human body. Now, hot peppers have traditionally been used both as food and as medicine. Most notably, it's been used as treatment for gout and stomach problems, diphtheria, and scarlet fever. Now, modern medicine is investigating capsicum for its range of essential nutrients and bioactive compounds, which are known to be antioxidant, antimicrobial, antiviral, anti-inflammatory, and anti-cancer. Of course, culinarily, sweet peppers and hot peppers are used pretty universally. Interestingly, in English-speaking countries, we define a pepper sort of by its size and flavor. The larger, blockier, sweeter variants are called capsicums in Australia and New Zealand, peppers in the United Kingdom, and bell peppers in the U.S., now, the smaller, hotter varieties are usually referred to as chilies or chili peppers, and in some parts of the U.S., we just call them peppers. Now, some cultivars are grown specifically for their aesthetic value, and we call them ornamental peppers. These tend to have unusually colored fruit and foliage, black, purple, rainbow, all the different colors. But they're all edible, despite being called ornamental peppers, which most people don't know. And most of them are hot, so keep that in mind if you decide to snack on your ornamental peppers. Now, as far as nutrition is concerned, most nutrition facts focused on bell peppers or sweet peppers, so this is what we'll cover here mainly. Fresh, raw bell peppers are mainly composed of water. The rest is carbs and small amounts of protein and fat. So in 100 grams of raw red bell pepper, you've got 31 calories, and it is 92% water. You've got 1 gram of protein, 6 grams of carbs, 4.2 grams of sugar, 2.1 grams of fiber, and 0.3 grams of fat. But they are also loaded with vitamins and minerals, like vitamins C, B6, K1, E, and A, along with potassium and folate. Now, you notice I said raw red bell pepper, and that's because green bell peppers are technically immature. The mature peppers in colors of red, yellow, and orange contain more nutrients than their immature counterparts, and they are also much sweeter in flavor. Now, chili peppers are primarily used as a spice and can be cooked or dried and powdered. Um, in fact, powdered red chili peppers are just known as paprika. Now, capsaicin is the main bioactive plant compound in chili peppers. And like I said, that's responsible for their unique pungent taste, but it's also um, responsible for many of their health benefits. But because they're used in much lesser amounts than sweet peppers, these health benefits also tend to be lesser. 
And this is why hot peppers are being studied for their medicinal properties, because concentrating these compounds into a capsule or another medication may be a more effective way to get those benefits. But their wide variety of colors and shapes and sizes and their heat indexes make them really fun to grow and use culinarily. Now let's talk about the cultivation of our peppers. Obviously, it's a warm season plant. They are typically started as transplants, sometimes overwintered as full-size plants to take advantage of their perennial habit and then brought back out again. But in most instances, you're going to start them and treat them as an annual. You're going to want to start pepper plants at least eight weeks prior to your last frost date, mainly because they germinate very slowly and they grow very slowly. And like I said, if you are an area that has a very short growing season, you may have to start a little bit earlier just to be able to get a jump on things. Now for best seed germination, you want to maintain the temperature of the potting mix at 85 degrees Fahrenheit or 29.4 Celsius. Yes, that is very warm. And this is one of the first stumbling blocks that you might face trying to grow peppers. They really do like a very warm soil um, in order to germinate. And even at that ideal temperature, they can still take up to 10 days to pop their little heads up. And it can take up to three weeks if the soil temperature is cooler than that ideal 85 Fahrenheit. They will not germinate in temperatures below 55 Fahrenheit. So be patient, don't drown them, and be sure to mark the date that you started them so you don't inadvertently toss a whole tray of seedlings because you thought they were duds. Now once they do sprout, the air temperature ideally should be between 65 and 75 Fahrenheit during the day and then drop down to between 60 and 65 Fahrenheit at night. Now I know this can be difficult to do when you're seed starting in the house and you are likely starting a bunch of other plants all at the same time. So just do your best with this and try to find a happy medium for works for all the plants that you're starting. Don't be in a rush to transplant your peppers outside. This is problem number two that I see. Cold temperatures can weaken the plants and they may never fully recover. You want to start hardening your plants off about a week before you want to set them out into the garden. You can start by putting them out in a shaded area for increasing hours the first day or two and then slowly moving into the sun for a day or two, increasing the hours spent outside each day. Now ideally, the last few days that you can put them outside, when temperatures are around 60 Fahrenheit to 65 Fahrenheit is going to be ideal. And at the same time, reduce the amount of water that they get on these days. That's going to help really harden the plants off and reduce the transplant shock. Now here's another catch with peppers. You can actually overdo it with the hardening off process with these guys. Do not start hardening your plants off three weeks before they go into the ground. That might be okay for other plants, but over-hardened pepper plants actually grow more slowly after transplanting. Like I said, do not be in a rush to get them outside. Peppers and eggplant, for me, are generally the very last of the warm weather plants to go out into the garden. The weather should be warm and very well settled before you put them outside. Your average soil temperature should be at least 65 Fahrenheit and your overnight air temperature should be staying above 55 Fahrenheit consistently. This is likely going to be about three weeks after your average last frost, depending on how your spring has gone. And here's where you really have to pay attention to the weather conditions. I will give you a perfect example of this. This weekend, 
we'll be having our first big plant sale of the season, and it's the first time that I'll be bringing out many of our tomato and pepper plants for sale. I know, with it being Mother's Day weekend here, many of these plants are going to be bought for mom so she can spend her day in the garden Sunday if she wants to. And I am going to highly suggest that people don't do this. Why? Because first of all, no matter how hard I work to harden off these plants before I bring them out for sale, the microclimate in my garden is different from the microclimate in your garden and in each of my customers' gardens. Any plant you buy, whether from a grower like me at the farmer's market or from the local nursery or from the big box store, should be given at least a couple of days to acclimate to your individual growing location before being planted. If you can spend a week doing it, then great. Secondly, looking at our local weather, I see the forecast for Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of next week being in the 80s Fahrenheit. So even if those plants are hardened off at that perfect 65 degree Fahrenheit mark, they are not going to fare well if they've just been transplanted and then the sun blazes on them for the next three days straight. So I will be putting signs out at the stand this weekend giving people this information because I don't want anybody buying plants, running home and getting them planted only to have them die four days later. These are things that we need to think about as gardeners, even if they're our own homegrown seedlings. So pay attention to your weather conditions and wait just a little bit longer to see if you can get those ideal planting conditions, especially for peppers. Now, peppers prefer a soil pH between 6.0 and 6.8, so slightly acidic and not much different from most other veggies. Peppers don't generally demand anything in particular when it comes to soil nutrients, other than really appreciating a good amount of organic matter. This point actually trips people up a little bit with pepper production. Yes, peppers need nitrogen for nice green growth to begin with, and then they need more in the way of phosphorus to promote flowering and fruiting. But this does not have to be complicated. Let your plants tell you what they need. Many of the resources that you might find online put the emphasis on adding nitrogen before planting and then adding more during planting and then adding a side dressing of nitrogen about six to eight weeks after transplanting. I still see this in a lot of my gardening books. This is overkill unless your soil is dramatically depleted. And that's the rub. Many of the standard recommendations that you find on the internet are for commercial production and they've just been scaled down for the home gardener. Well, most conventional farming operations are low in both nitrogen and organic matter, so those recommendations make sense for them. The problem with following this in our own gardens is that we may not be nitrogen depleted. This means those pepper plants are going to have access to more nitrogen than they need, and they'll be big and lush with dark green foliage and nothing else because it's taken up all that nitrogen and it's used its focus on foliage and no energy has gone into flowering and fruiting. So do a soil test to see if you're depleted of any nutrient, not just nitrogen, and amend accordingly. And then just amend your bed with a good aged compost or composted manure at planting time and add a little bit more halfway through the season. You can also feed the pepper plants a balanced plant food, we're talking a 10-10-10 here, at planting time, and for a few weeks thereafter, and then switch to something that has less nitrogen and more phosphorus and potassium, like a 5-10-10. 
The one thing that I will say has made a difference in my garden when it comes to peppers is magnesium. This is where Epsom salts come in. And no, it's not for blossom end rot. That's a total myth. Blossom end rot is caused by a lack of calcium uptake in the plant, but this can be caused by drastic moisture fluctuations and excessive nitrogen or potassium fertilization or incorrect soil pH. In fact, calcium and magnesium, which is what's in Epsom salts, compete for uptake by plants. So I have no idea how that idea got started. Epsom salts are magnesium sulfate. So when you use it in the garden, you're adding both magnesium and sulfur. Now, magnesium helps the plant to absorb and transport key nutrients like phosphorus and iron throughout the plant. It also plays a vital role in water retention and photosynthesis. It's also involved in a lot of different enzyme reactions. Sulfur also participates in chlorophyll development. It's uh, active in photosynthesis and it boosts the plant's growth and its resistance to disease. So if you've had a problem with slow growth or lackluster fruiting in your pepper plants before, try mixing a couple of tablespoons of Epsom salts into a gallon of water and using it as a foliar spray or mix a tablespoon into a gallon of water and water your plants with it about six weeks after transplant. Or you can just sprinkle a cup per hundred square feet of garden space and work it into the soil before planting. Just like everything else, don't overdo it. Magnesium and sulfur are secondary nutrients, and just like any other nutrient, they can interrupt processes if they are available in large quantities to the plant. So just do this if you think that your plants are needing a little boost. Once heard someone say a podcast is like a garden. The gardener puts in the effort, but everybody benefits. I think that's pretty accurate. This podcast is a labor of love, and I hope that every one of you is reaping the benefits. If you get lots of great information from this podcast and would like to support it monetarily, you can do that by becoming a patron for as little as $2 a month over on Patreon. I'd like to thank my patrons for supporting this and every episode of the Just Grow Something podcast, and if you'd like to join them, go to patreon.com slash justgrowsomething. The link is in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Now make sure that the place that you plant your pepper plants is fully sunny and you have had no other members of the nightshade family planted there for at least three years, preferably. So no eggplant or potatoes or tomatoes. Now, when it comes to transplanting, pepper plants can actually be spaced more closely together than you might think. A lot of plant tags and seed packets may say to plant them like 18 to 24 inches apart. But in my experience and the directions that I've gotten from a lot of my growing handbooks, you can plant them as close as 12 inches apart in rows that are 18 inches apart. You can get a lot of pepper plants in a very small space. It's okay for pepper plants to be touching each other at maturity. In fact, they seem to do better that way. They tend to lean on each other for support and shade each other's fruit, which avoids sun scald. I had jalapenos in one of my raised beds out front last year, and I had 15 plants in a bed that's three foot by mm, seven or eight feet. 
we'll say eight feet. So that's about a foot and a half between each plant on each side. And these plants were huge. They were fully touching each other and the branches were slightly intertwined at the end there. And their production was amazing. So it might feel like it's really close together, but they do great at that distance apart. Now, if you're planting in an in-ground space or a raised bed box, you can use black landscape fabric or row covers to warm the soil up a little bit before planting to really make your transplants happy. Now, if you don't use landscape fabric, be sure to mulch after the plants are well-established and the soil has warmed up nicely. And actually, in fact, I recommend adding some sort of mulch over top of black landscape fabric anyway when you're planting with uh, peppers. This is actually to keep the soil a little cooler under that fabric once you get to midsummer. Anything that causes these plants to overheat, even at the root zone, can cause them to drop their blossoms. Uh, we'll get to that more in just a minute. Peppers need even moisture to produce the best peppers. This not only prevents that blossom and rot we talked about, but remember, peppers are over 90% water. Their fruit development relies on it. The soil doesn't need to be, nor should it be, sopping wet, but consistent soil moisture is very, very important. I think if anything impedes fruit production in peppers, this is it. We don't irrigate our fields, and so we have to mulch really, really heavily in order to get proper pepper production. My raised beds out front don't usually get watered, except when I have peppers out there. It makes that much of a difference. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be watering every day, but you need to come up with some way to keep the soil moisture consistent. Now, I mentioned problems with fruit set. Peppers can be temperamental, um, especially when it comes to setting fruit, if the temperatures are too hot or too cool. They are uh, way worse than tomatoes in this regard. Nighttime temperatures below 60 Fahrenheit or above 75 Fahrenheit, it's only a 15 degree difference, can reduce fruit set in peppers. And a lot of the time, there's nothing you can do about that. So as much as they are heat lovers during the day, they really like the cooler temperate nights. Now mulching can go a long way toward keeping the root zone cooler in the midsummer, the same way that it can help keep that temperature higher in the early part of the season. And that can actually make a difference. Letting the soil get too dry can also result in flowers dropping off of the plant. Overwatering, like really keeping the soil saturated, can cause flower drop. Find ways for your soil to retain the moisture rather than needing to water all the time. Remember, consistent moisture is key, not necessarily consistent watering. Excess nitrogen, uh, phosphorus deficiency, and inconsistent humidity can all cause problems with flower drop in pepper plants. And many times these things are completely out of your control, so don't feel bad. Just do what you can when you can. And then one more thing, it is necessary sometimes to stake really tall varieties. Um, it's going to help with the harvest. It's going to help keep them from flopping over and possibly breaking. And a lot of the time it just makes for a much neater harvest. Now, if you're growing in containers, peppers do great. Like I mentioned, they don't need a huge amount of space. So pots are fine. 
you can line pots right up next to each other with pepper plants and they will reach out and touch one another and hold hands and be perfectly happy in their pots. They should be grown in pots or containers that are at least 12 inches wide and 12 inches deep. If you have larger containers, then just space the plants 12 inches apart in those containers. Use a commercial potting mix or make your own homemade potting soil to be sure you've got plenty of organic material for them to grow in. Choose a container that's got holes in the bottom for easy drainage and just like our in-ground peppers, keep the soil evenly moist and also be sure to feed your plants about every two weeks throughout the growing season. They're going to have a tendency to use that up much more quickly when they're in containers. So two questions I always get about growing peppers. Should I pinch the first blossoms from the plant and should I top my plants? Look, <laughs> much of this is trial and error and personal preference. If your plants are still small when you transplant them and they either have already developed blossoms or they develop them very quickly after transplant, I recommend pinching them off. The plant at that point is likely too small to successfully support that flower to get it all the way to fruiting, and you want it to focus its energy on root and shoot growth initially. Now, some folks argue that if the plant can't support it, the blossom will drop off on its own. But I've seen a forgotten pepper plant in a little two-inch pot push out a tiny little bell pepper the size of a quail egg when it absolutely had no business growing that fruit. So I make the decision for that plant and snip off those blossoms. Now, as far as topping plants, this is usually something talked about specifically with hot peppers, and it's not something that I've done. And if you can hear that noise in the background, that is another rainstorm that we're having right now. It's been a very cool, wet spring. I'll take it. It's fine. Anyway, pepper plants can get top-heavy as they mature. Many gardeners find that staking their pepper plants is necessary to keep them from toppling over in the wind. I am one of those gardeners, depending on the plant. I did a modified Florida weave on my bull's horns peppers last year because they needed the extra support. They were super top-heavy. But I did not stake my jalapeno plants. The idea behind topping your plants is to help them grow in a more bush-like manner to prevent the top heaviness and not have to stake them. You get to shape them and they develop a thicker trunk. Now, contrary to popular belief, this doesn't necessarily increase the number of flowering points on the plant and increase the yield. You likely will have a similar yield whether or not you top the plant if it's a hot pepper. And you may actually decrease the yield if it's a bell pepper plant because those fruits take so much longer to produce and you may delay flowering by cutting it back. You may have an increased yield if the plant is healthier simply because it didn't snap in the winds, but it's unlikely to increase yield based solely on the pruning. Now, if you decide to try topping your pepper plants, you usually do this shortly after transplanting and you continue to do so every three weeks, shaping the plant as you go. You just cut the main stem off at the top, just above a leaf node. This will force the plant to start new growth off to the sides of where you made the cut, creating a more bush-like habit. You can do this once or you can do it multiple times. Some people swear by it, some people swear it does absolutely nothing. All you can do is try it and judge for yourself. You may decide to do a side-by-side -side comparison. If you plant out 12 hot pepper plants, try topping six of them and leaving the other six alone and see if you get a difference in your yield. Experimenting in the garden is always a good thing. So let's talk about pepper pests. 
um, aphids, sometimes flea beetles, hornworms and other worms, spider mites, and white fly are all things that can plague pepper plants. Now, most of these are not going to destroy your plants unless you have hornworms that are completely stripping the leaves off of your young plants. Uh, but white fly can spread disease. So pest prevention is always a good idea and encouraging natural predators is the best way to do that. But in most instances, if you see some pests out there and it doesn't seem to be overwhelming, you may not have to do anything at all. Hopefully the natural predators will take care of them and most pepper plants, if they are healthy, can handle some sort of pest pressure. With diseases, You've got anthracnose, bacterial spot, different blights, powdery mildew, white mold. These are all possible with peppers. If you're in an area that is prone to specific diseases or you've seen these diseases in your garden before, look for varieties that have resistance bred into them. And then also keeping the insect pests in check a little bit will also prevent the spread of many of these diseases. And then, of course, there's blossom end rot. It's not a disease. It's a, it's a syndrome. Just keep the moisture level constant. Um, grow in soil that is high in organic matter and make sure that your plants are getting the proper nutrients, and that should hopefully prevent the blossom end rot. So after you have gotten this big, beautiful growth of all of these fantastic peppers, it is time to finally harvest them. And I actually always consider peppers more of a fall crop because it doesn't seem like you get to really harvest a ton of them until fall. Um, sweet peppers can be harvested at any stage of their growth. Full-sized green peppers left on the plant will eventually turn red or yellow or orange or purple or whatever color the seed packet says it is, and that's when they're at their sweetest. Harvest them whenever you want. Harvest them as you like or as you need them. Just don't leave fully ripe bell peppers or sweet peppers on the plant. This will actually signal to the plant that it's time to stop producing and it will actually reduce your overall yield. Now for hot peppers, leave them on until they are fully mature and then harvest. This lets them develop their flavor. So have an idea of what the pepper is supposed to look like when you plant it so you know when it's time to harvest. Always when harvesting peppers, cut the fruit off the branch. Don't try to snap it or yank it off. It is very easy to break the entire branch off by doing this, and this is the voice of experience speaking. The number of times I've gone out into the garden to do something, and I'm like, oh, look, there's this beautiful pepper. I'm going to snap it off. No, 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 no. <laughs> so always cut the fruit off the branch. And since peppers take so long to mature, you may find that you come up on your first fall frost before your peppers are all ready. So keep an eye on the weather, cover with frost cloth when it's needed, and if a hard freeze is around the corner, go ahead and harvest all of your peppers off of the plants and bring them in. You can also try pulling the entire plant and hanging it upside down in a basement or another cool spot just to let them finish ripening on the plant for a few more days. You can harvest immature hot peppers too. They just won't have the same flavors as their ripe counterparts. I often dry these and crush them as powder or into flakes for cooking. So hopefully that gives you a little more confidence to tackle growing peppers, whether it's your first time or your tenth. Like I said, it took me years to figure out the nuances of peppers, and I still have years where my bell peppers are tiny and my hot peppers don't produce anything until just before frost. But I can say, when we get it right, 
we get it really right. And there is nothing more satisfying than picking a giant red bell pepper for your evening meal and knowing that you grew that big, beautiful thing. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden, and I'll talk to you again soon. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. For more information about today's topic, head on over to JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com for all the episodes, show notes, blog posts, discount codes, and more. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. You can also head to Facebook and join a community of other gardeners asking questions and sharing their experiences in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group. And if you want to support this show even further, head to Patreon.com slash JustGrowSomething to find out how. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep learning, keep growing, and we'll talk again soon.